welcome to the Los Lynx Talk Show, a new podcast from Lynx Dynasty. Today's show is all about Maya Moore and the path forward for the Minnesota Lynx. We've got both the local and national perspectives covered. First up, we've got Kent Youngblood. He's the longtime uh, Lynx beat guy for the Star Tribune. Uh, if you follow the Lynx, you know, you know that no one is more plugged into the Lynx than Kent. Then we'll talk to Howard Megdahl, the editor-in-chief of High Post Hoops. Uh, very few people know as much about the WNBA than Howard, and he's just super passionate about uh, women's sports in general. Hope you enjoy. Here we go. Kent, thanks for joining me. Let's start here. Uh, what were your initial thoughts uh, when you learned Maya wouldn't play in 2019? Well, I mean, because the news had kind of leaked out, um, I guess a couple weeks back, and having done some reporting, uh, I guess the, when I first heard about it a few weeks ago, I thought, is there an issue between she and the team? But as I kind of dug into that, I realized that it had nothing to do with her relationship with the Lynx or with the coach Reeve in particular, and more just a desire to go out and do something with her life that she hasn't had the time to do. And so, I mean, I, I, I think it's uh, it's startling news, but it's kind of gutty news, too, I mean, for her to, to, to take that plunge and do what she feels she needs to do. I, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. And, you know, we were both in the locker rooms and around the team last summer. You're, you're there every single day. You're at every practice. You know, I, I guess I, I noticed a little bit of a difference in Maya and sort of, you know, a little bit of, uh, di- you know, discontent. And, you know, but I kind of just chalked it up to the fact that the team wasn't winning quite as much and the stress of maybe having the all-star game and a couple other things. But, you know, there were a couple tip-offs. I mean, the moment where, you know, when she d- declined to be a captain for the, for the all-star thing, that kind of turned heads and kind of definitely made me, um, you know, m- you know, start to think what's going on here. But, you know, were there any, was there anything that stuck out to you last summer or just comments she might have made or anything that might have, you know, kind of made this make more sense or just made you think that it was maybe something that, would, that could happen? Well, I mean, I think that if you went to the games and you watched her play, it was definitely more of a grind for her than it had ever been. It didn't seem, playing basketball didn't seem particularly joyful. And I think that's, that's something that you always saw in her game. Um, and after games, she was reserved and sometimes frustrated. I think that captain decision, I mean, that, that, that was, in retrospect, a, you know, a pretty significant sign. I think that part of what's going on here, and this is just my speculation, is that it can be really difficult being the face of a, really, of a league for nine years or eight years. Um, and I think it was an exhausting experience, and she was already having a difficult year. And she makes the All-Star game, which is being played here. And, you know, I think that there was just a load of expectations put on her, and I think she just wasn't going to do it all this time. And so in retrospect, I think that was a pretty significant sign that, that, that this uh, <clears throat> process of playing basketball had lost a little bit of its joy. Ken, do you believe that the team had has had known about this for a while, or is this something that possibly maybe took them by surprise? No, they've known about this. I'm, I'm certain they've known about this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense to me, too. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, sort of wondering if this was about the team or the relationship with Reeve. And, and to me, I, I never really could believe any of that just because with dealings with her and with the, with the team, everyone seems so close and everybody 
has all the right things to say about what an important group it is and what an amazing opportunity they have to all play together and, and, and compete at such a high level and have all this success. So I never really bought the idea that Maya Moore had an issue with the team or, or with the franchise or anything like that. Um, but, you know, so I, I guess the speculation now is sort of like what happens next. Um, you've had some reporting um, regarding her contract situation. Um, you reported that she signed a, a multi-year deal. How does, how does where, where is that right now? And, and sort of what is the status of the team going forward? Well, um, I think her, she, saw, she signed a multi-year deal. So... If she decides after this coming year to come back, she would come back to the links. Um, both, uh, both, or not both, but uh, their, her representation is saying that she has not made a decision about anything past the upcoming season. So at this point, everything would be speculation. But, um, you know, on the one hand, she is a, a intensely faced faith-based person who wants to do some things, and she might, she might find that to be some of the most fulfilling things she's ever done, and she might just go forward with that. On the other hand, a lifelong competitor might stay out for a year and realize that she wants to play. I don't know. It's, it's all speculation at this point, you know, in my opinion. But uh, she, if she decides to come back, it'll be here. Right, and I think that's that's comforting to Lynx fans, and I think it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes sense that she would want to return with, with you know, if she does return, she'd want to return with Reeve and at this place to support her for so long with the with great fans and, and stuff like that. Like, you know, in a lot of sports situations, Minnesota doesn't really have a lot to offer, but I think for the WNBA and, and for the Lynx franchise, um, they really do. You know, great, great facility, great fans, great support and everything. So it does make a lot of sense that, you know, you know, if Maya does return, that it, it would definitely be here. Um, and how do you think the team will, um, you know, deal with her absence um, on the on the court this season? Obviously, the signing of uh, Kareem and Christmas Kelly will go a long way to you know fulfilling some of that uh, space left by Maya. But how do you see things kind of shaking out with the personnel they have currently, or maybe will still add um, in order to uh, do their best to replace Maya Moore? Well. First of all, I don't think you can replace her. I think replacing her is... I mean, you can, you can fill her roster spot, but you can't find somebody to do what she does. Um, so, I mean, I think it would be very difficult for the team. Um, I believe that there may be another trade of some sort coming. Uh, I think they really, really need to hit on that sixth overall pick. Um, I think they need to find viable depth with their three second-round picks because we don't know whether uh, Fig Benley or Zendalassini are going to be there at the start of the season. So, uh, I mean, if both Fig Benley and Zendalassini decide to prepare for the Olympic qualifying tournament with their national teams, they would be without some pretty important depth on that roster. Uh, Kareem Kelly was a nice selling. Uh, Christmas Kelly was a nice uh, signing. She'll start at the... I think she'll start at Maya's position. She'll defend well, and she brings a lot of energy. But you're, it's, it's going to be, have to be a committee to try to find those twenty some points a game. You know, talking about how they might uh, add a different player to fill in for Maya there. You know, wh- what sort of types of players, or what sort of um, skill sets, or you know, players on the court do they need? You know, wh- what are what are areas of need for this team as you look at it right now? You know, before the draft uh, uh, here in February. 
Well, I think that uh, if Atlanta does not match the offer sheet for Demaris Dantas and Fig Benley is with the team at the start of the season, I think they're pretty good at both starting and in depth at the post position. Um, at this point, though, uh, Alexis Jones is really the only viable point guard backup to Danielle Robinson. I think they need to add depth there. I think they need to add depth at the shooting guard position. Um, and I think they need to find, uh, if Zandal Athene is there, I think that she's a decent backup, you know, for the for the three position behind Christmas Kelly. But if Zandal Athene isn't there, they're going to have to find somebody there. I, I think bottom line, they're just going to have to find people who can who can shoot. I mean, they need to find scorers. They're just... I mean, this is going to be a very uh, Sylvia Fowles-centric team, and she's going to draw a lot of attention, even maybe more than last year. And so there's going to have to be people who can sit on the perimeter and hit shots. Yeah, that was definitely missing from, from last year. And, yeah, like you, like you mentioned, there was so much attention paid to fouls in the post, and it was really a problem for the Lynx offense last year. You know, so the, the, definitely shooting is is something that they could they could stand to add some people there. Um, mm-hmm. Any any names to look for? Any anything that you you would like to see? Any players that you would like to see kind of uh, be on this team as, as far as potential uh, players that can maybe add that shooting element? Well, you know how hard it is to to get any real viable movement. Yes, of quality players in this league, it's hard. It doesn't happen very often. Um, I think I think. They're going to have to try to, you know, I could see them trying to package maybe some second-round picks on a player to get somebody who can shoot, but I really don't know who that would be. And I think they, I think they need to find a shooter with a sixth pick. Um, now, if those, there are three juniors, including one from Oregon, I believe, who could come out after this season. So a pretty decent draft could get pretty that much deeper if that were to happen. So I think they can get somebody quality at six. But they they got to hit on that pick. This is the highest pick they've had, well, gee, since I started covering the team. And they, they need to find somebody there. Yeah, the draft, de- draft for sure will be, you know, yeah, that's interesting, though, because, yeah, you, Lynx, you know, haven't necessarily had that to high of a draft pick, like you mentioned, and that hasn't really been a big strategy for them as far as, you know, adding players for, for this year that can contribute this year, right? If they, if they draft players, it's usually, you know, they end up at the end of the bench and don't really play too much, but... You know, now especially they're in a situation where whoever they draft is probably going to be someone they are expecting to contribute here in 2019. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the draft uh, coming up, I believe in April, will be something to watch. Kent, any other th- anything else around this situation that you'd like to talk about? I mean, is this just something that this whole Maya situation is this something kind of that you've never really encountered before? Is there any parallels that you can think of? I mean, obviously we have Diana Taurasi taking a year away, Angel McCautry um, a few seasons ago taking years away. Uh, What do you compare this to? What is the kind of context around this that uh, Lynx fans can think about? Well, there really, I don't think, is a precedent. I think in in both, uh, well, certainly in um, in Diana Taurasi's case, it was she was being paid by her European League team not to play. Um, Right. Um, this is purely a personal decision to step away from basketball and focus on her faith and ministry. And I just don't know. I, I, I just don't know if I can find a parallel. Certainly not in basketball. Certainly not in women's basketball. That, that since I've been covering the team, I'm just really fascinated to find out. I mean, the thing is really interesting. You know, Maya's always been such a private person, so intent on controlling her message. 
And when, when this kind of first broke a few weeks ago, there were all sorts of rumors kind of flooded into the void of information. And people assumed, I think initially, that it was some sort of rift between she and the team or that she was unhappy at being cored. And I think that I think that this once the news came out, I think it would have behooved more in her representatives to try to kind of clarify things because there was a two or two plus week period of people just assuming that she was angry about something, which turned out not to be the case because she signed a multi-year deal before before announcing she wasn't going to play this coming season. So I think that a lot of people assume made assumptions that weren't true. You know, now she's you know she's got some work to do. She, she's very involved in, in a number of uh, areas. She's uh, her godparents got her involved in this in this drive to get a fellow named Jonathan Irons um, a new trial because they feel he was convicted unfairly and is in prison. Uh, she's got a lot on her plate. I think coming up. I think you know it'll be very interesting to see whether she misses the game. I mean, it's it's one thing to say you're not going to play now, but. It's another thing when you're when you played your whole life and all of a sudden you're watching people you used to play with on TV playing. It'll be interesting to see if she misses it. Yeah, very interesting to see, and that'll be something we'll be watching uh, all summer, I guess. So I don't know if we'll hear much from Maya, but uh, any updates we get, uh, I'm sure we'll have them direct from Kent uh, Youngblood. Uh, everybody, Kent, uh, make sure you go read his uh, his work at the Star Tribune. Uh, obviously, covering the Lynx every single season, but also uh, in the off season covering the Wolves. And uh, right now covering uh, women's uh, gopher basketball, Lindsay Whalen squad over there. So make sure uh, you're reading him at Star Tribune. Um, follow him on Twitter. Uh, what is it? Blood Strib? Is that what it is? What's your Twitter That's handle? It, yep. Blood Strib on Twitter. Uh, Kent, thank you so much for your time today. You bet. You have a good day. All right, right now on the line we have Howard Megdahl. He is the editor-in-chief of High Post Hoops and also editor-in-chief of the Nine Newsletter. Uh, How- uh, Howard Megdahl, uh, definitely someone um, you know who knows knows the WNBA uh, overall very, very well. Uh, he's, uh, he's been on that for a very long time, and um, I had the pleasure to meet him a few years ago, so I call him, call him a friend now. Howard, thanks for joining us today. Uh, honored to be called a friend. Really great to be with you. <laughs> so, um, obviously, um, I thought of Howard uh, to, to talk to, kind of getting a, a broader national perspective about this whole uh, Maya Moore business. Uh, Howard, uh, you know, what were your initial thoughts when you learned that Maya wouldn't be uh, a part of the WNBA in, in 2019? Well, you know, the initial thoughts are, from a basketball perspective, obviously there's a kind of disappointment but from a personal perspective and from someone who's uh, covered Maya for a while now I wasn't all that surprised uh, you know Maya Moore is much more than the sum of her basketball accomplishments which are considerable and Maya's had her eye on some larger scope projects for quite a quite a while now and so, you know, thinking back on conversations I've been having with her last year, I wrote a little bit about this uh, in the Nine newsletter this week, our Basketball Wednesday. Uh, but it was that Maya has been thinking in a broader scope uh, for quite some time. And so for her to be pursuing that uh, made a lot of sense in terms of who she is, where she is uh, personally and where she is in her life right now. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting, you know, you kind of, you know, bring up that that's sort of something that's, you know, we have noticed in her. You've, you know, you can say that you know, if, you, if you've interviewed her, if you talked to her, if you've read anything 
about her in the past, you know, all these other sort of outside basketball things do kind of come up. And, you know, that, that's something that is to be celebrated, I think, and is the, w, the WNBA does a great job, you know, bringing out all those other things about their athletes and, and, and everything. But it's kind of a hard crossroads here because on, on one hand, it's great that Maya can, can follow, you know, her passions outside of basketball and do these things, um, you know, and she's getting lots of love online and, and from, from peers, um, from other players, also from fans and stuff like that. But also, this is undoubtedly a negative thing for the WNBA, right? Like, it's it's not good when one of your premier players can simply just sit out a season. Um, so it's kind of a hard duality there. You want to you want to be able to give the player you know the freedom to express themselves, and obviously they don't have to play basketball. It's it's not our right to get to watch Maya Moore play every, every summer or whatever. But uh, sort of, how do you kind of walk this line of of dealing with you know the feelings about you know, sh- you know the, the players m- missing out on a whole season, and, and, and even though we want we want them to to be able to follow these kind of passions that they have in their lives as well. I can't tell you for sure, but I can tell you based on previous conversations with her and other people who are privy to her decision making that this parallel is a lot less equivalent to Angel McCautry sitting out a WNBA season and Diana Taurasi sitting out a WNBA season, which was more about physical resting and the financial implications of playing here versus playing overseas. And a a real parallel, I think, is to the NBA side and to Michael Jordan, uh, who at 29 years of age uh, also took a breather uh, from his uh, basketball career. And in Maya's case, she's not looking to play overseas, but give up the links or vice versa. She is looking to put herself into a different sphere of influence. And so I'm not sure that this qualifies as one of those stories. There is a very significant story to be told about the fact that the WNBA needs to find a way to take better care of its players, to make sure the players are able to have a rest time. Uh, to make sure that players are able to build a career and a life here in the United States without spending seven months of the year overseas, uh, every single year of their 20s and 30s, which has profound implications on players' ability to uh, build a life uh, from a personal and professional perspective. And that is a conversation that needs to happen and, quite frankly, is happening right now with the collective bargaining agreement negotiations taking place between uh, the WNBA and the WNBPA. However, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Maya is thinking about this in different terms. Maya, who has been 100% devoted to basketball uh, for as long as she can remember, uh, since the moment that uh, her mom put a hoop uh, on the door of their apartment when she was growing up. And so uh, I think this is something less basketball-based and more existential. At least that's, that's certainly the impression I'm getting. Yeah, and that's interesting. the the whole The whole Jordan angle, I guess, is not something I had thought about before, and it's it's you know very apt, I guess, given that she is the you know the jump uh, jump man athlete, right? The, well, the- as I <laughs> as I wrote on Twitter, uh, there are a lot of parallels between Michael Jordan and Maya Moore. Yeah. Uh, had Michael Jordan won more? Uh, sure. <laughs> right. He's got he's got to get on her level here. Uh. He's not, not quite. But, but but not bad. I mean, it, you know, Maya Moore is an impossible standard to live up to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that is interesting. And and yes, the implication. I mean, this whole season, I feel like this upcoming WNBA season, we're about to 
um, embark on here. I think we'll obviously have this CBA thing kind of hanging over it in some ways. I mean, it was already talked about a lot last season, and now they still have another summer of games to play before you know they they can you know get together and, and hash out a new CBA. Hopefully. But, you know, and you mentioned that this is different and, and, you know, maybe doesn't necessarily ring of, oh, I, this is a financial thing or this is a, you know, um, you know, uh, load management or, or something like that. But, you know, what, what do you think this, this move from, from Maya being away, um, how does it affect the overall league and, and, the, and the upcoming CBA negotiations, if at all? Well, well, so it affects the league in a few ways. The balance of power changes when Maya Moore is not in the league. When Maya Moore is not a member of the Minnesota Lynch, Cheryl Reeve has a different task at hand. And um, I wrote about this yesterday. Not an impossible task. And not one. Everyone's going to uh, sort of roll the Lynch out. You know, oh, Maya's out. So obviously this is a rebuilding season. Uh, Cheryl's made some interesting moves so far. Uh, I, I wrote about this last week over at High Post Tubes. I love uh, bringing in Rima Christmas Kelly. I mean, she just does a lot of things that fit with the way Minnesota plays. And there's a logic to it uh, at both ends. Uh, Demiris Dantes is someone who's going to help them inside quite a bit. Uh, it's going to require more of a scoring load uh, for Sylvia Fowles. Well, Sylvia Fowles is the best five in the history of the game for my money. So asking Sylvia Fowles to go out and score 25-30 a game is well within her range of outcomes and something she's very capable of doing. Simone Augustus is back. There are, uh, to my mind, a good eight to 10 rotation players in this draft and uh, Minnesota's draft in number six. So there'll be someone else to help them as well. Uh, and you can be sure that it'll be someone who they're gonna need to call on immediately. And hopefully Danielle Robinson uh, is able to continue to build on some of the progress that she was already making uh, at the time of her injury last year as well. So. All, all of that adds up to a very compelling and interesting team in Minnesota. Uh, but sure, it's a different test. It's, it is definitely a harder climb when you don't have Maya Moore to be able to rely on as well. But for the league as a whole, there is no shortage of star power. I mean, look, if, if Liz Cambage gets traded to a place where she's comfortable and she returns, uh, Liz is a star. Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird, uh, you know, you may have heard of them and they're going to be able to uh, help as well. I, I mean, T Tina Charles playing in New York. I, you know, there are no shortage of stars before we even get to the fact that we had a WNBA finals last year between Brianna Stewart and Elena Deladon's teams. Uh, you know, two young mid-20 stars as well that the league can market around uh, in addition. So the WNBA's problems have never stemmed from a lack of signature players that you can build around and get people to care about and watch. And I think that's reflected in the fact that Minnesota was at the periphery of a lot of the national conversation last year by virtue of, look, they were only 18 and 16. They were, uh, they were ousted in the first round of the playoffs. And yet we saw ratings increase significantly. And I, I, I don't think that means that Minnesota can't drive it. What I mean, what I think it means is that Minnesota doesn't have to drive it. Right, right. Um, and the, I think there's a lot of, um, I think mostly Lynx fans have, have kind of come around on this idea of Maya and are supporting her. And, you know, they're not, they're not maybe excited about it, but, you know, they kind of understand and are, and are hopeful about what the future might bring for, for, you know, Maya's time with the Lynx. 
But what you know, you you mentioned Angel, you mentioned um, you know Diana Taurasi, you know you know leaving for for a season, taking a year off, coming back. Mm-hmm. What? But you know, so maybe historically, and then also maybe kind of maybe what you see for for Maya. What are maybe some of the best case, worst case scenarios here for maybe you can you know speak to Lynx fans about you know maybe what they can expect for her maybe coming back and and maybe um, you know a situation where you know a worst case scenario where maybe she likes her time away is, is, is anything like that kind of maybe in the cards because i think that, that nothing has been decided about you know if she will even come back you know sure. i know there's been um you know you know ken young blood has, has it that you know she's signed a multi-year contract um with the Lynx, and um uh you know but so i'm not sure exactly you know with with those types of things i think there's an option for sure for her to come back to links and as i understand it if she were to return to the WNBA, it would be with the Lynx. but right. i don't think that there's any promises about that i think cheryl reeve has been non-committal about that um because i, I don't know that that has been for sure to- told to her or whatever so i don't know where do you see this kind of going best case worst case and and and, uh how do you see it playing out like i can reveal that uh someone uh who is familiar with Maya's thinking has let me know that no uh 2020 and beyond have have not been decided but the contract matters uh, i think for a really significant uh reason and that is that as this uncertainty has taken place uh one of the open questions was well is this a lynch thing and so by signing a contract, a multi-year deal uh, for if she comes back, it's uh, a document that <laughs> asserts that this is not, in fact, uh, something irreconcilable between Maya Moore and the Lynch. And that if she comes back to the WNBA, the Lynch is going to be the team that she's playing with. Uh, so that was significant, I think, uh, on that front in and of itself. But moving beyond that, when you try and get a sense of what can Maya be after a year away. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about those comps. Maya Moore is younger than Angel was when she took a de- uh, took a year off, uh, and is younger than Diana was when she took a year off. Uh, we'll see what Angel can be uh, ultimately on the other side um, of now an injury as well. Uh, but in Diana's case, uh, she came back better than before. And uh, no one who knows Maya Moore, even in a cursory way, uh, doubts that she has that same drive that Diana Taurasi has, that same uh, desire and need to be great and to win. It's something uh, that has made her a separator. It's the reason why she has won. Uh, She's this assassin who comes in and just uh, when there is a key moment in the game, she brings her talents to bear upon it and uh, makes makes it decisive in her favor, and she's been doing that her whole life. So if she comes back in 2020, she's going to be 30 years old. That is uh, certainly young for a basketball player. And uh, there's every reason to think that if she comes back, it's because she's decided she wants it, and you'd have reason to believe she comes back refreshed. Uh, so I'd be uh, exceedingly optimistic about what Maya Moore can be uh, if she decides that basketball is what she wants, uh, come 2020 and beyond. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and then let's let's kind of pivot and talk more about the Lynx uh, uh, offseason kind of in general right now. I think it's still kind of a little bit early. I mean, obviously the, te- the team is – the roster is actually filling up here a little bit, but, you know, still have, uh, you know, s- some other moves to make. But Kareem Christmas Kelly, uh, for sure, you know, the biggest, uh, I guess – 
uh, non-re-signing. Obviously, signing Simone, that's that's great. Uh, that's a big name mm-hmm. as well. But Kareem, uh, Christmas Kelly, uh, someone um, that they're bringing in new to the team. Um, and you know, you've written about um, Karima as well at, at High Post Hoops, and, and I encourage everybody to go over to High Post Hoops and, and, and check out uh, Howard and, and the teams over there. They're awesome <laughs> WMA coverage. But you know, thank you. What what um, you know? What do you see with Karima Christmas Kelly's fit with the team? You know, how do you think she? I mean, at this point, she's kind of straight up the my replacement, I guess. I mean, that's gonna that's probably not something the team's gonna want to put on her shoulders. Obviously, right. those are those are uh, big shoes to fill. But hey, she's well, uh, likely going to be starting in my place or you know in that kind of three four range but you know what do you see with her game and, and the fit with the links this season i mean i agree i i think it's unfair and not the way i'm sure cheryl is going to approach it <laughs> right as you know here now you, you know it's not like uh, at a broadway show some you know the understudy card right. uh, tonight's role of my amour will be played by cream christmas <laughs> kelly but but here's what she does and she does a lot of really important things. Uh, she has that sense of the moment of getting the key rebound at the key time uh, that is vital for a winning team. She has the ability to defend threes and fours. You can even sometimes put her on twos, some of the bigger twos. And so she has that range of defensive movement that allows some mixing and matching. Uh, let's say Dante stays. And I, I laid it out this weekend as to why uh, it's going to be very difficult for Atlanta to match. Uh, Atlanta cannot match unless they trade one of their six uh, uh, guaranteed contracts. And uh, those six are their starting five and Alex Bentley. I think it would be very difficult for them to move any of the five starters uh, for reasons of continuity. And I uh, question what the market would be for Alex Bentley, quite frankly, uh, at the price tag she's at on a fully guaranteed deal. So if Dantas is here and you have a starting front line of Sill at the five and Dantas at the four and uh, Kareem and Christmas Kelly at the three, uh, that's a significant rebounding team. That's a team with some real range. Um, Rima has the ability to shoot the three. She has multiple seasons, if I recall correctly, with uh, north of 38% accuracy from three-point range, top 10 in the WNBA in both of those seasons. Uh, So that gives you a chance to replicate what Rebecca Brunson brought to this team. Now, if Rebecca Brunson returns, uh, and that's still undecided at this point, uh, then you have even that much more. You have the ability to uh, bring in, you know, Dantas off the bench potentially. You have the opportunity to go extremely big. You have the opportunity uh, to let Kareem Christmas Kelly wander a little bit more, and Brunson can be sort of a more traditional four at times. So, depending on what Rebecca Brunson does, and it's not a small thing when it's you know your five-time champion, and we all saw the difference in the Lynch down the stretch between Brunson playing and once Brunson, due to her concussion, missed the duration of the season. I'm I'm sure that Cheryl Reeve has spent some time wondering what would have happened at the end of the year had uh, Rebecca Brunson been healthy. But, you know, we'll obviously never know about that. And so that all plays a part in what is a really talented and really versatile front line. I do want to touch on Simone, though, real quick, because you mentioned uh, the her resigning as well. That is a very big deal because that is somebody who creates her own shot. And that matters so much more with Maya out of the picture. Uh, You know, you look at this team and you say, all right, who creates their own shots, right? Dream of Christmas Kelly can do it. Um, And so that's not not an insignificant part of her game. But, you know, um, still needs to be fed. You know, there's no criticism of her. It's just the reality of uh, the five that she is. 
And so having Simone be able to uh, force defenses to handle the mid-range, uh, force defenses to deal with her and ISO, uh, all of these things are going to matter a great deal. And so having her back uh, for uh, 2019 is a big deal, not just psychologically uh, in terms of having that carryover in the locker room, but also just fundamentally from a basketball perspective. She is a big part of what they need in 2019. Yeah, and they're going to need Simone to, you know, to step up, you know, kind of step back into a bigger offensive role. I mean, exactly. you know, she's been kind of, you know, her usage has been kind of maybe going down a little bit over the last few years. And, you know, it's been you know, obviously the Sill the and Maya show and, you know, a couple other players peppered in there. I mean, especially last year, uh, Zonda Lassini took lots of shots and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But, yeah, they're going to need they're going to need Simone to definitely create create offense um, more because yeah, I mean they're gonna they should be a fantastic defensive team. Hopefully, back back to the levels they expect to be at. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with with that lineup, but, but yeah, you look at Danielle Robinson, not someone who you expect to create offense. Uh, you know, for herself necessarily, she can set others up uh, for sure. And then yeah, the question I guess will be about Cream of Christmas Kelly. How much of that she can do? Can she operate in a pick and roll and and get others the ball and that kind of thing? I'll, I'll be interested to see kind of. You know what she can do there, and I guess that kind of leads me in my last question here: is is what else do you think the team needs um, personnel-wise? Maybe not by name, um, but maybe just by type or, or the type of uh, um, skill sets they might still need out there. I mean, you know, we're still here in, in February, and and you know, we still have the draft um, to come. The Lynx have the sixth pick in the, in the first round, and they have a couple, I think, three picks in the second round, and, mm-hmm. and so you know, lots of lots of ability to maybe package and add um, some players. There there and i think you know they will be active in maybe a trade um let's see you know with this whole maya thing i think they will now have some cap space to work with and and stuff so it seems like there are more personnel moves um upcoming here you know what do you see that them needing and, and do you have any um ideas about you know where they could go to you know maybe add a couple more pieces to this roster yeah, I, I think they need to supercharge the backcourt. I don't think the backcourt's a finished product by any stretch. Uh, I, I think you need to make sure that you've got coverage for Daniel Robinson. Uh, Daniel Robinson is also a distributive point guard, much more so than somebody who is necessarily creating her own offense. Uh, I know they worked with her on shooting the three, but still that's a work in progress, not to mention she'll be doing it coming back from a fairly significant injury. Uh, I like Alexis Jones. Uh, but I think of her as more of a combo guard who you'd use in a second unit. Uh, and I think that for them to really have her in the role that you would want her to be for the Lynx to be the playoff team that I know they expect to be and plan to be, I think you need to add another big piece, if not two big pieces, to the backcourt. Uh, so I, I'll throw out, and this is purely based on availability. This is not right, based right. on uh, any particular reporting I have that they're going after her. Uh, Chelsea Gray. Chelsea Gray would be just wow. perfect. I mean, Chelsea Gray playing for Cheryl would be a joy to watch. Chelsea Gray, who is uh, a terrific defensive player. Chelsea Gray, who is a size matchup nightmare uh, coming out of the backcourt, yet her going downhill and no one is stopping her. Lord knows Lynn's fans know that uh, from seeing her from the other side. Oh, yeah. And, and so Chelsea Gray is a restricted free agent. Uh, I know, you know, having talked to Derek Fisher about it, that the Sparks are very interested in keeping her. But every day that goes by that she has not been retained uh, is an interesting day to be sure for other teams that could use her. Um, you know, she's still just 26. Chelsea Gray has a huge, huge future 
Uh, and I know WNBA talent evaluators who think Chelsea Gray was the most important player on that team last year, which is saying something considering they had, uh, you know, Parker and Agumake. So that's one thing. Uh, I don't know if it's doable. I don't know what her options are. Uh, you can be sure Cheryl is doing due diligence to make sure to find out. Uh, but that's so that's number one. Uh, number two, this is a draft that has a couple of players in the backcourt who would be those type of game changers, the create your own shot type, uh, one being Asia Dar, the other being Enrique Agumake, uh, excuse me, Agumbawale. And uh, in both cases, unlikely that they are around by the sixth pick. Uh, could they be around by the fourth pick? Uh, is it something where you can move up? Is it something where you could trade a 2020 pick? Very hard to get to one or two at that spot, but also let's not forget uh, Sabrina Ionescu may come out uh, two and three uh, in New York and Indiana. You have a couple of teams that are very interested in centers as well. So, you know, I, I'm going to have a mock draft. I'll tease it. <laughs> a mock draft coming up at High Post Hoops later today or tomorrow. And uh, I have some fresh reporting over there as well. But one of the interesting things is that you ask every general manager in this league, and they have a different answer as far as how many elite players there are in this draft. And so it's not just about need, it's also about how people view these top potential picks. And so can Cheryl find a way to get to the point where she gets one of those two? Well, it would be enormous. It would be enormous, game-changing, and uh, fascinating to see. You can be sure she'll be doing the due diligence on it. Wow, yeah, lots of uh, yeah, lots of uh, possibilities and opportunities, I guess, for the Lynx to you know still improve their team here, and yeah, we'll definitely be paying close attention to the draft as it gets closer here. And uh, don't miss a moment. And, and by yeah. the way, just fearless, uh, shameless plug, I should say, yes. fearless as well. Yeah. Um, you, if you sign up for the Patreon at High Post Hoops, uh, you you know one dollar, five dollar, ten dollar levels at the five and ten dollar levels, you get alerts, automatic alerts. If anything big happens, you can be sure they will. There's a ton going on in the WNBA uh, year-round. You'll get those alerts, and I can uh, certainly share the fact that Cheryl Reeve is one of those people who was signed up for those alerts. <laughs> That's right. She tweeted that. Yeah, she is a Patreon uh, member there. And, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know about the about High Post Hoops, but you might not know that they uh, just launched a Patreon, so you can uh, fund their efforts directly and uh, get some uh, get some goodies along the way and you know get some access and some stuff like that. So definitely go uh, support High Post Hoops. That's something you want to do as a big WNBA fan. Uh, Howard, appreciate your time so much. Uh, that was awesome, and uh, yeah, we'll be looking forward to see what the Lynx can do and you know what the season holds for the team. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be speaking a couple a couple different times across uh, this upcoming WNBA season. Maybe even again before. We'll see what happens with the draft and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, we'll be uh, checking you out at High Post Hoops and also uh, the Nine newsletter. Make sure you go sign up for that uh, email e- is it email newsletter that you get to the e- inbox. Yeah, email, email newsletter. Each day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, we cover a different women's sport. For five bucks a month, you're going to get every single day, Soccer Monday, Tennis Tuesday, Basketball Wednesday, Golf Thursday, Hockey Friday, focus on women's sports, original reporting, links to the best uh, work that's being done uh, around the world of journalism in each of the sports, and an original interview each day. Wow, and somehow Howard found time to talk to me today. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. (laughs) My pleasure. I'm so glad to do it. All right. Thanks for your time, Howard. Thanks, Neil.